0: Before we get into uh, the Jesus trip, and we keep moving along, I've actually got a, a, a video for you to see first, and then a couple slides. So this, uh, you'll recognize the star of the video. It's, uh, it's our very own Destiny Sullivan from out, out east in Bridgewater.
1: So when my parents told me that Pastor Carl had asked them to come pastor a church in Nova Scotia, I was in the middle of my year off from BSSM, and I was still searching for many reasons why i felt god wanted me to take a year off and as soon as my parents told me this i knew like i needed to be here for this and i was so grateful that god had led me to this situation to encourage them and help them through this whole process and i said yes guys like let's do it This is the opportunity that God has given you. This is the answer that you've been looking for because my parents haven't done a ministry like this in a few years and I know it's what they were born for. I grew up watching them travel around the whole world, preaching and ministering to people and loving on them and helping them grow. And this is just another version of that, another version of what they were born for. And my transition here has been very crazy. It's been up and down. I have been a roller coaster of emotions, but something that always has kept me grounded is the community at this church. It's small, but mighty. Like the people here are so kind, so loving, so welcoming. And I know it's a perfect foundation for this church to grow. These people are committed and they are so excited to see what God is going to do. And so am I. I know that this place is very special so this is the perfect opportunity to bring even more potential to this church and really just to help us make a great impression on the community. And I know it's gonna be amazing. I am so excited for the launch in August. It's gonna be so much fun. And I'm really excited to get the community involved in the beginning of this amazing journey that we're gonna be on. Change is always gonna be hard, but it's so exciting. And I feel so grateful to be a part of this. And for anybody who is willing to come out, Nova Scotia and the people will change your heart forever. And it's so worth it, I promise. So good, eh?
0: So if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're new here, you don't know Destiny, or you're kind of like, what was that all about? Well, uh, a couple months ago, we, uh, we sent. We sent. And that's a big deal for an apostolic church, send people, right? People don't just go. We send people in relationship with people, right? So, so Destiny went out. Her mom and her dad went out. And they've, uh, they took over a church, basically a, a very, very small church. is basically like a, a church plant, really. But what they've done is they have taken from what we are, who we are, here at Impact Church, and they've taken it out east, and they're starting Impact Church Bridgewater. See, the, the thing that God's put in our hearts here is so good, other people want it. Other people need it. The revelation of, of that Jesus has given us of himself, the expression of his life deposited in us as a body of people, it needs to grow. It needs to expand. And this is, this is something that's happening right now. Our footprint, who we are, is expanding all the way out to the east coast. Crazy, eh? I think there's a couple slides if you want to sh- uh, show those, but I think I think it's the weekend of August the 24th, 25th. Uh, pastors are going to be going out east, and I think if you're looking for a road trip, you're welcome to join them. You can meet them out there. Maybe uh, some sort of transportation arrangement could be made if you want to make that trip, but they're actually going to launch... <laughs> Impact Church Bridgewater. Uh, this was uh, Pastor Carl saying, you know what? If you go somewhere with Pastor Carl, even if you go somewhere for a day with Pastor Carl, there's food and there's lots of fun. So <laughs> and there's our own Wayne Zimmer out there. Look at that. Impact Church, I see Bridgewater. So good, eh? They've got a beautiful building. I know Kaylin uh, Harris and, and, and Rob Guvermont, they've been out there as well. They are helping paint. So what's happening out there is very much us. It's got our DNA. It's who we are. Impact Church is growing and expanding. But you know what, pastors, uh, what's happening today is they're actually in Toronto as well, and uh, we have a church, Castlefield, in Toronto, and we're actually going to be working really, really closely with them because basically we're going to have an Impact Church Toronto too. Now, it might not be, you know, they're they're still working out some details, but basically, we're going to partner with them, and we're going to extend our footprint, expand our influence into Toronto as well, biggest city in Canada. What what God's doing amongst us right now, it needs to grow, it needs to expand, and right now, presently, today, it actively is. It really is. We're involved in some good stuff. So, um, Wednesdays. This is where Wednesdays fit into it, is that uh, we're talking about the family business. Madeline gave a good shout out to that. What we're doing on Wednesdays is we're basically going to take the summer and go through uh, top to bottom, really big picture, which Pastor Carl did this Wednesday, talked about the church. What is the church? What was God's intention for the church? What is he trying to do in the earth through the church? And we're going to start at that big picture and work all the way through. We're going to look at all the ministries, everything that we do, why we do it, the tools that we use, how we do what we do. Because we all got to get involved. We, gotta, we all got to find our place. See, we got a vision for, for who we are and what Jesus has put in us as a people that's so much bigger than here. There, there's room in London for more impact church, there's room in Canada for more impact church. And you know what that's going to take? That's going to take us right here, all of us, actualized, absolutely engaged, knowing where we fit. So I'd strongly encourage you to come out on Wednesdays. You know, maybe, maybe you'll see something, maybe you'll hear something, and you're like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. Or I didn't know how, that's worked, how that worked. I, I'm totally gifted that way. Or, or, or you, get a little, you get a little hunger, and you're like, I want to serve somehow. How do I do it? Well, come, come Wednesdays and get plugged in. It's going to be a, a great opportunity for, for all of us to, to, to move together. Who likes what Jesus has done here? Yeah? It's gotta, it's, people got to hear. People got to know. There's a good God who loves us like crazy, and he wants to touch and transform lives. And we, we, we have an obligation, a responsibility. Those are harsh words sometimes, but to share that, and to share the goodness of God that he's put in us. So praise God. That's what's going on. It's happening right now. You can come on Wednesdays, get equipped, and we're going to do this thing together. We really are. All right, so today, for the sermon, we're going to carry on in the Jesus trip. Uh, and this week we're going to look at a guy called Hezekiah. There's lots of Psalms. I know we're going to get there, I promise, if you, if you love the Psalms so much. But uh, today I want to talk about Hezekiah, just because it, it kind of flows a little bit from last week. We're, we're doing the Jesus trip, and, and as was mentioned earlier, what we're doing as we're working our way through the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is we're looking for Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, you know what? These scriptures, the whole point of the Bible is it all testifies to me. It all points you to me. In fact, he was kind of harsh with the Pharisees. He said, you think that in the Bible, you're going to find life. Actually, what the Bible's for is to point you to me so that you can have life. I'm the one who gives life. It's beautiful. And uh, so all throughout the scriptures, God's trying to speak to his people. He's trying to reveal himself, and and people just kind of aren't getting it. So it's like he decided one day, you know what, I'm going to show them who I really am. And, and Jesus, the word made flesh, he took on a body and he came. And he came and he embodied a word from God. He didn't just speak a word through a prophet. He came and he said, let me set the record straight. Let me show you who God really is and what he's really like. And he took a body and he walked amongst us. And First and, and John 1, verse 14, actually, it kind of sums up what I was trying to talk about last week that we saw in the life of Hosea. Hosea prophesied and foreshadowed a coming person, a coming Savior who was going to embody a word from God. And that word was going to be gracious. It was going to be loving. And it was the power of that word that was going to take a messed up, broken people and bring them from where they were into the fullness of their destiny. And that's what God did for us in Jesus. It says the word became flesh. And he dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Truthfully, he was full of grace. The word that transforms you, the word that shifts you from where you were to where you're going, it's a word of grace. It's a good, kind, and loving word. Praise God. It's a good word. It's not a word of harshness and judgment. So this week, we're going to keep looking at Hezekiah, because who knows, if you embody a word from God, you know, that word that's implanted in you, that gracious, loving word of God that you live out, you're going to have an impact in your world. You're going to be a reformer. You're going to be a world changer. And that's what Hezekiah was. Hezekiah was a reformer. He was a world changer. So when you when you think about World changers, people who've had a, an impact on, on the world, who, who left the place a little bit better than they found it. Who do, who do you think of? Me, I think of people like William Wilberforce, just because I'm kind of a political geek. I like those things. Abolished <laughs> slavery in the UK, like good dude. Dr. Martin Luther King, reformer, good dude, civil rights, right? All that stuff, good stuff. Gandhi, maybe you don't know about him. Through, through his, his insistence on, on, on peaceful protests and just, just being a very peace-loving guy, he basically brought the British Empire to its knees in India. There's a reformer. There's a guy who changed the lives of people. And then, of course, if you're going to talk about reformers, you've got to talk about Martin Luther. Uh, a lot of people say he's the next to Jesus, maybe the biggest influence on the Apostle Paul on Christianity. Now, oh, this guy's interesting. I actually really like this guy. He's one of my favorite, uh, favorite characters from church history. This next part, feel free to hit the delete button if you want, but it's got absolutely nothing to do with the sermon. It's just got everything to do with Martin Luther because I find him so funny. He, wa- he went off the rails a little bit, and uh, he's just a funny guy to read. So Jesus, remember Jesus says to the Apostle Peter, he says, uh, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Look at Luther. He's, somehow, in a sermon about keeping children in school, Martin Luther says, you seem to me to be a real masterpiece of the devil's art. What's that got to do with kids in school? There's actually a website that you can go to and you can click a button and, and all the insults of Martin Luther will pop up. So if, don't do it if you've got low self-esteem or something. <laughs> the reformer will just insult you, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> remember, that, remember that video about, uh, uh, I think it was about inviting people to church and it was like, "You don't, don't go up to somebody and be like... You smell like sin. (laughs) Martin Luther didn't get that memo. (laughs) He says, your sin smells to high heaven. He's funny. There's another one where he calls somebody a a poisonous loudmouth. And this is my favorite. He's writing, it's an admonition to peace. He's trying to get people to stop killing each other and hurting each other. So he says, you, however, keep on asking for the trouble and you want to be hit over the head. This guy is a bit of a screw loose. That's got nothing to do with the sermon. Sorry, I just wanted to share that. (laughs) And I, I do have better things that I do than just sit there and click and <laughs> let Martin Luther make fun of me. But anyways, he's a reformer, right? Uh, he, he changed the world. The Protestant Reformation, he completely transformed the church. He transformed how we do church. He, uh, he was kind of the lightning rod for that whole tra- transformation. He took his 95 theses, he nailed them on the wall, he said, let's have a chat, and nobody wanted to talk about what he wanted to talk about, and it blew up the whole church world. Lots of people think of him as like the, the greatest reformer in Christianity, but think about Jesus. Think about what he did. He didn't just transform the church. He transformed the world. He forever reformed the way God and human beings interact with each other. Crazy, right? Eh? Jesus was, was, was an absolute world changer. And what we see in the life of Hezekiah, which you're going to look at today, you can read about him in Chronicles and Kings, is there's a couple ways that Hezekiah's life points ahead and shows us Jesus, the ultimate reformer. Hezekiah got involved in the affairs of his day, and he changed it around. He, cha- he changed things. Well, so did Jesus. And then through the life of Hezekiah and the life of Jesus, we're going to end up looking at how we have been called to be world changers and reformers. Because we have. You have. That, that should make something, you know, your heart beat a little bit faster. There's something in us that's not supposed to be OK with status quo there's something in us that's not supposed to be okay to see stuff out there that's not right and just be like, eh, eh. That, I think, is the very definition of lukewarm. The love of God in us is supposed to move us to want to see things left better than we found it, Okay, So what do we learn from Hezekiah? Who is Hezekiah? He was, uh, he was the king of Judah. He, uh, he became the king after his dad, uh, Ahaz. And this is what, this is what God said about Hezekiah, He said, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asherah poles. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen to this. Imagine this on your epitaph. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. God had some pretty good things to say about this guy, and you can see he's he's already he's challenging things. He's cutting stuff down. He's pulling stuff out. He's not okay with what's going on. He he's having a disrupting influence. It's about disruption, and that's what that's what reformers do. That's what world changers do. Standard definition in a dictionary of reformer is just simply somebody who makes changes to something in order to improve it. But I had to use the word world changer, because I'm, I'm not kidding you, I was sitting at my desk and I, and I was talking to Madeline, and I said, Madeline, what should we call this sermon? She said, like, well, what's it about? I was like, reformers. She's like, what's a reformer? I was like, oh my goodness, you're killing me. What's a reformer? <laughs> so good. So she helped me out. She looked up something online and said, world changer, and to my surprise, it's actually a word. Now... Hopefully you can get past this. This is just one of my little isms again, but world changer in the Urban Dictionary is actually one word. So please, nobody come up to me afterwards and be like, you should have added a hyphen. You should have separated it. (laughs) World changer is a person. According to the Urban Dictionary, a world changer is a person who has a deep inner desire to, to making the world or to contribute to making the world a better place be it through political, infrastructure, technological or sociological advances, and put such impulses to action in order to see such change become a reality, no matter how small. That's pretty cool. That's a great definition. Really, really good. World changers. They have an impulse and they put it to action. They have an impulse and they put it to action. And I love the simplicity of it. It takes no real qualification other than to care. You know? You want to see something change. You want to see something better. That's good. Well, here's the thing about God's world changers, God's reformers. Unlike the Urban Dictionary definition that it, it talks about changing the world through infrastructure, through technology, sociological changes, and political changes, God's reformers, God's world changers, they, they will, their influence will touch those realms. You know, the influence that we have, the influence of the Spirit of God inside of us, it will touch the way humanity uses technology. It's supposed to. We're supposed to be out there influencing things and shaping things, right? It is going to affect how the sociological systems. It is going to influence politics. But it's not primarily about those things. God's tools are not those things. God's tools are not, for example, the ballot box, right? Not by might or by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how things are going to move, by the power of his word, by the power of his spirit. Now, our influence will touch politics. It'll touch our society. It certainly will. But that's not the primary vehicle. No, God's reformers, they don't appeal to these tools. God's world changers don't don't use these as their primary weapons. Instead, they do, I found, four other things, four things, four ways, four things that God's world changers and reformers do from the life of Hezekiah, and then we're going to talk about what this means for us. So first of all, you'll see it there, God's world changers, God's reformers, the people that God sends to make a difference and to make the world a better place, the first thing they do is they remove barriers to people encountering God. 2 Corinthians chapter 28, or 29, sorry, verse 3, it says this about Hezekiah, in the very first month of his reign... The very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors to the temple of the Lord and repaired them. First thing, his burning passion is like, man, I can't wait to be king. What am I going to do? First thing he does, opens the doors. And that's a really big deal. He repaired the points of access to the temple and the dwelling place of God. And that was a big deal because his, his dad before him was a, a bit of a bad man, a bit of a bad king, a bit of an idol worshiper. So it's uh, Second Chronicles 28 says the king... King Ahaz, his dad before him, what he had done is he took the various articles out of the temple and he broke them into pieces. He shut the doors to the Lord's temple specifically so that no one could go in there and worship him. Hezekiah's dad, he brought altars to pagan gods and he set them up in every corner of Jerusalem. He made pagan shrines in all the towns of Judah. So, I mean, Hezekiah was was born into and came to power in a really bad time in a really bad moment, and, and, and so bad that his dad actually said, I don't want people to be able to worship God. How bad is that? His dad got so deep into idol worship that you can read about this in Second Kings verse, or chapter 16. He actually sacrificed one of his sons to, to an idol, to a demon god, basically. That's, uh, that's pretty bad. No wonder Hezekiah was a reformer, Right? He's probably like, does dad want to play catch or is dad going to burn me? I don't know. (laughs) How's that for a complex growing up? Really bad stuff. But think about Jesus for a minute. Think about what he did. We celebrated it a bit today at communion. He opened the door. He opened the door for humanity to be able to come into the presence of God. So good, eh? Hezekiah did it of the first priority. Jesus did it too. Look at this, Hebrews 10, 19 and 22. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened. He opened the door. He opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. See, the doors are swung wide open into the presence of God. They're not open a crack. It's not like, oh, I gotta kind of push my way in there. No, he swung those doors wide open. You can boldly enter the presence of God. You can just run in there. In fact, Jesus came, and do you know what he said? I think more than anything, one of the most important things that he said, come, come to me. Amazing, eh? The law of Moses was all about separation, stay away from the unholy thing. And then you got Jesus showing up on the scene. Holiness himself is saying, come. Wow, that's amazing. See, there's not a million things we have to do or a checklist to complete or an analysis of yourself. You get to just run right in there. And the way, it's a life-giving way. It's not a soul-destroying, life-sapping way. If, you're, if your expression of Christianity is soul-destroying and life-sapping, if that's what you feel you need to do, if that's your experience of trying to enter into the presence of God, that's not the Jesus way. You know what the Jesus way is? Thank you, Jesus. Hey, Father, what's up? just like that. See, Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved, and he'll go in and out and find pasture. Now, let's get, a, let's get charismatic for a second. Let's get all blue. <laughs> let's get spiritual here. When Jesus says, I'm the door, that means a lot more, by the way, than just he's the, the way into heaven. That means a lot more. I mean, you want to you have spiritual experiences. You want to experience the presence of God in your life. You want to live as an activated spiritual being who, who, who sees things. And for lack of a better spiritual word, let's say uh, the realm of the spirit, whatever that is, whatever language you use, you want to have those kind of experiences? You want to live that way? I'll tell you what. I'll give you the key right now. But don't be offended by the simplicity of it. Jesus is the door he's the door. He's not just the door into heaven. He's your door into spiritual encounter. He's your door into the presence of of God. He's your door into walking in the spirit. He's your door into experiencing those those out there things that we want to see and be a part of in, in the spirit of God. Jesus is the door. There are other doors, but they're bad doors. There are demonic doors. There are doors that are the fruit of a human spirituality, but I'll tell you what, when you, when you walk through the door of Jesus, when your spirituality, your spiritual experience, your life in the Spirit of God is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work, you're going to be able to come in and out. Remember what Pastor talked about a couple of weeks ago? Being able to come in and out? Jesus said you're going to come in and out. You're going to find Pastor. You can come in and out. You can experience God in that supernatural and amazing way. And it's a way that doesn't rob your strength and rob your vitality. It's a way that gives you strength. Sometimes I think people miss out on that whole experiential side of Christianity because things happen and then they just kind of shut it down and they're like, no, that, I didn't do anything to earn that. I didn't get that. I didn't fast long enough. didn't read my Bible enough today. God, you can't speak to me like that and shut it down. It's like, don't. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to flow. Jesus is the door. Jesus is your door into spiritual encounter with God. So you're in open heaven because he is and you're in him. Jesus Christ is Jacob's ladder. So have fun. Enjoy it. Here's the thing about world changers and reformers. We're, uh, we're people who are possessed with a message of reconciliation. And our lives, they demonstrate that our sins don't separate us from God. We open the door to others. And we say, because of what Jesus did, you can go right in. You can experience God. You can experience God right now. I can bring you an experience of God. I can pray for you. I can let you experience God and access him through my life because he lives in me. I'm in him and he's in me. Let's have a God experience together. Let's join a small group. <laughs> yeah, I had to plug that in. If you don't know me, I do the small groups around here. So I'm always, I'm always trying to put a plug out there. All right, so the second thing that world changers, God's reformers do, and ha- hang on with me for a second here because at first you might not like this, but they purify the people. So Hezekiah, he, he says to the Levites, purify yourselves. And of course, they did it through compliance with the law and ceremonial rituals. You know, they had to uh, do whatever they did, take baths in certain ways and burn certain stuff and all that kind of stuff in order to be ceremonially pure. But Jesus the ultimate reformer, the ultimate world changer, he purified people in a totally different way. He really did. You know what Jesus did? He took on our impurities. That's how he did it. He didn't just clean up the outside of the cup. It's like Jesus in this moment was like this giant vacuum hose sucker thing that took on all the sins of the whole world. So when he he purifies the people, he, he took it off of us and put it on himself. In fact, it goes so far to say in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin, the perfect one, the righteous one, who had nothing impure about him, he who knew no sin became sin. He took our imperfections and our our impurities. He took them on himself. That's amazing. And you know what? It wasn't just an outside job either. It was an inside job. Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? See, Jesus, when he had that moment of like vacuum hose sucker and he took the impurities of the whole world on himself, he didn't just take what was on the outside of you, he sucked out the impurities on the inside too. He took all that out of you. He didn't just take it off of you, he took it out. So there's no more prayers, God created me a clean heart. He has. He did. Ezekiel 36, 26, he spoke of a day where he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll take that heart of flesh and give you, or take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There was a time where the Old Old Testament prophets, they looked ahead. We look back to a day where Jesus took it. He extracted it out of us. And when we were raised up together with him, he gave you a new heart. He gave you a new spirit. First Corinthians six seventeen, whoever's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Holy Spirit's not dirty. He's holy. And you're one with him. Crazy. He made us pure. Now, reformers, world changers, we don't run around making people pure. We can't do that. We can't even make ourselves pure. Let's be honest. If you're trying, quit. But here's the thing, we know how to take people to the source of purity. We know ourselves where to find purity. In Jesus, it's not in the law, it's not in religion. See Titus chapter two, it says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and not grace. The grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. See, grace is the power that teaches you to say no. Grace teaches you to say no to sin, no to lies. Yes to God. Yes to sober living. Yes to righteousness. Grace. See, reformers, God's world changers, we know how to live connected to that grace and manifest the purity that we've been given. We're not trying to to, to, to earn it. We're not trying to achieve it. We're not trying to attain it. And we're certainly not trying to change the world by telling everybody else how to behave. Because we understand that purity and right living comes out of Jesus Christ inside of us. The purity that I demonstrate in my life is because he is in me. He is pure. He has made me pure. And when I live out of the deepest spot of who I am, I'm living out of purity. Because if you cut me open and you go to the deepest spot of where I am, you're going to find me in Jesus like this. Me and the Holy Spirit intertwined. You're not going to be able to separate us. And everything that he is flows and gushes through me and my spirit. You know what? So, so a, lot of, a lot of learning how to, to live out of that means just getting your head to connect with what's gone on inside of you already. So Paul says things like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind catch up to what he's done inside of you. So reformers, world changers, we don't call people the holy living with a lot of passion and zeal. No, we lead people to him because he has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, redemption, sanctification, holiness. My holiness is a person. It's not a state of living. It's not a state of being. It's It's not a way of behaving. Holiness is a person. Jesus Christ, he has become my holiness. Now, world changers and reformers. Another thing that they do is this. They don't do the political, infrastructure, sociological thing, although it touches them. One of the things, another thing that they do is they cleanse the temple. Now, hopefully that doesn't sound weird, but listen to this. Second Corinthians 29, verse 5, or Chronicles, sorry, 29.5. Hezekiah says, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. And, you know, If you've been reading, you'll, you, you will have seen in, in, in King's Chronicles, oftentimes what gets the the kings mentioned as good, godly, righteous people is they actually were pretty destructive to the old bad stuff. It's kind of funny. It's like God says, this is a good king. Well, what did that good king do? Well, he tore down all the Asherah poles and he ripped out the the evil pagan worship. It's kind of funny. But see, his, his dad, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, he'd brought all sorts of idols into the temple. And the, the place where God was had become in, infected with false beliefs and with demonic issues. So he said, Go cleanse the temple. And, and the problem with uh, uh, the, the idols, and, and maybe you're like, you know, how does that relate to us today? Well, here's the thing maybe we don't do idol worship. You know, we don't have anything like that. But the Bible says that there are strongholds in the mind. There are thought patterns. There are, there are ways of thinking that are, that are actually demonically energized and inspired. So, so he says, you know what, you're going to tear down these strongholds. You're going to tear down these thought patterns and these processes that, that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. You're going to tear that stuff down and you're going to bring every cap- thought captive, not just to the obedient, not to your own obedience but to the obedience of Christ. So Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, this is where it all started. He goes to Damascus, and while he's in Damascus, he sees an altar that's been used for uh, pagan worship. He likes it. He's like, wow, that's pretty cool. For some reason, his, his heart was corrupted already, but he saw this altar, and what he does, Second Kings 16, is he, he he gets into emails, I don't know, gets in touch with the priest, and he says, you know what, Uriah, what I want you to do, I, I saw this really cool idol worship altar, I think we should bring it to the temple. So he sends the, the, the priest the, the instructions, the the priest takes it, and he builds an altar, and he introduced into the, the, the house of God, the temple of God, a sacrificial system altar use that was just downright wrong. It was the wrong altar, and it was the wrong sacrifice. So much false religion. Actually, I think the Apostle Paul called it doctrines of demons. It has to do with altars. It has to do with the wrong sacrifice. And I'd argue that, you know what, there, there is a similar condition to that these days. There's, a, there's been an infiltration of a, of a belief uh, of a false altar and a cult of death all around the dying of you. Let me explain what I mean by that. That's the kind of message, that's the kind of uh, Christianity that says if I sacrifice myself through my sheer commitment, through my willpower, through my sacrifices, I'm going to move God. I'm going to get God to move out of heaven and do something for me. That's the wrong altar. That's the wrong sacrifice. See, God's not interested in sacrifices and offerings. There's really one altar that he cares about. And he guesses. It's the cross. The cross where the Lamb of God was sacrificed. That's the sacrifice that matters. It's the death of his son. It's not our own self-sacrifice. This is kind of the root of a lot of false religion. Remember remember uh, Elijah? He's having this encounter with the, the prophets of Baal, and he says, you know what? Whatever God answers by fire, that's the right God. And the prophets of Baal are like, come on, God, come on, gods, whatever, come do your thing for us. What do they do? They revert to cutting themselves, as, as if some sort of mutilation of themselves, as, as if some sort of sacrifice that they can offer is going to tempt their, their gods to do stuff. Wrong altar. Wrong sacrifice. Hezekiah, he tears out this false altar. He tears out this false sacrificial system. He rips it out. He takes it out of the temple. Guess what Jesus did? He put an end to sacrifices and offerings. The cross was the last altar where the Lamb of God would be slain, And in that one-time sacrifice, he forever ended the system of sacrifices and offerings. Now, that he ended the system of sacrifices of, and offerings of lambs and of goats and of all these heifers and all that stuff. But he ended the, the, the religion of your sacrifice, of your commitment somehow moving God. It's both. So the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, he calls it things like will worship, self-abasement, things that don't have any value of, of combating the indulgence of the, of the flesh. If your religion's all about you and... And, and dying and all that kind of stuff. No. It's about Jesus and how he died. It really is. I see some heads turned. We'll get there in a minute. But first, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made his footstool. For by a single offering, one offering, he perfected you. You're not going to become more holy by embracing some sort of legalistic lifestyle that puts limits and stuff on you. That's not going to happen. You're perfected by one offering. It was the offering of Jesus. Hebrews 10.80 says, you didn't desire or take pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings. He did away with that first order of things in order to establish a second. So by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. See, he destroyed the whole system built around offerings. And this is actually a massive test for people who would be world changers and reformers. World changers, reformers, people who want to make a difference. They're full of passion, energy, commitment, willing to make great sacrifices and do things to see the world change. Sometimes we get really, really desperate because we see things. We're like, God, you you said this is available. This is what you said could happen. And, And you're so passionate about it, and we want it so badly. And you're like, it's, it's not happening. And the temptation can be to let that passion and let that desperation push you outside the boundaries and the realm of faith and move you into a realm of your sacrifice and your commitment. If I just do more of this, if I do more of that. No, Hezekiah, he ripped that whole system out of the temple. Jesus tore that whole system down. And reformers these days, world changers these days, they refuse to get involved in these kind of petty pursuits. We recognize. We know what Jesus has done. Now, somebody's sitting there thinking, well, what about Paul who said, I die daily? What about Jesus who said, take up your cross and follow me? If you can't, then you can't be my disciple. Well, here's the thing about that. Galatians 20, one of my favorite Martin Luther quotes again, he said this verse was so important that he should turn it into a, like a two-by-four and smash people over the head with it. I'm telling you, the guy had a screw loose. But he said this verse is so important to get as a Christian. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So take up your cross. Do you know that your cross is Jesus' cross? Do you know that you died with him on the cross? You can read about that in Romans chapter 6. You died with him. Galatians 2.20, you died. His cross is your cross. So carry your cross. What does that look like? I'm, I'm carrying the thing. It's on my back. The weight of my co-crucifixion with Jesus is weighing down on me every day. It's influencing me. I feel it. I feel the weight of my co-crucifixion with Jesus. And now I'm living by faith in his life. I'm not trying to run around and kill myself. I already died. Do you know how I die daily? I die daily to the pursuit of dying. I wake up every morning. I say, thank you, Jesus. I've been raised up in a new life with you. Everything I didn't like about my old self is dead. It's in that grave. And I got raised up into something new. And if you can embrace that, you can start to manifest it. But if Christianity is for you, it's all about overcoming those things that Jesus already overcame, getting past those things that he already beat, you're going to find yourself just kind of hanging out with them. And you don't have to. That cord got cut. Let it go. Let it go. Now, here's the thing. You know, you you manifest the life of Christ, the love of Jesus inside of you, that's going to take you into places where you are sacrificing. You know, you are putting other people's interests ahead of your own, and there is a sacrifice. But it's not a sacrifice of, hey, God, if I do this, then you're going to do this. No, it's what Paul said in Philippians 3, where he said it's, it's sharing the fellowship of his sufferings. It's not got anything to do with earning, earning anything. It's got everything to do with about, wow, Jesus, your love took me into this realm where what? I just did hurt. Praise God, I get to experience your love, and I get to love those people. So good. Such a different mindset, eh? Now, here's another thing about cleansing the temple. World changers and reformers, when they cleanse the temple, it also has to do with this. Second Chronicles 29.19, Hezekiah and those guys, they recovered the items that were discarded by King Ahaz when he was unfaithful and he closed the temple. Part of cleansing the temple is not just refusing to participate in that wrong sacrificial system of religion and dead works, but it's actually seeing what should be in the church restored. That's good. See, for the temple, the house, to be in full working condition, for it to be fully restored, everything that God intended for us to have has to be in full expression and demonstration. It really does. So uh, we're going to carry on in the Jesus trip. And when we get to Ezekiel, you're going to see this devastating event in the life of Israel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, it says that the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. The glory left the temple. God left. Remember Solomon? The fire came and the glory filled the temple. The priests fell over. They couldn't minister. The glory actually leaves. We'll read about it in Ezekiel 10. Ezekiel 11, you'll see that the glory actually lifted off the temple, went out into Jerusalem, and then was like, no, I'm gone from here too, and kept going. The glory leaves Israel. But guess what? When Jesus came back, when Jesus came as a person, when he came as a body, when the word became flesh, the glory came back. The glory came back to Jerusalem. The glory came back to Israel. Now get this. When Jesus ascended, he filled his temple with his glory again. He restored the lost glory to the temple. He reconstituted the temple in his body, and then he filled the temple with his glory at Pentecost. The Holy Ghost came and filled the church. Now with the restoration of the glory, with the glory in the church, comes all the expressions of everything that comes with Holy Spirit. All the gifts. The ascension ministries, apostolic government, the demonstrations of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the truth that comes by the activity of the Holy Spirit. All that stuff is fully on display in a restored, cleansed temple. Praise God. That's really good stuff. See, reformers, world changers like Jesus, they, they both oppose and resist demonic structures of trying to follow Jesus by your own effort and sacrifice by your willpower and your best efforts. We resist all that stuff and all the entanglements that go with it. But world changers, God's reformers, they also, they, they, they activate and they awaken uh, lost and fallen gifts, expressions of the Holy Spirit, people reconnected to the glory of God. They awaken those things. They bring things back to the house of God. Your life should be a walking example of what God wants to do in a human being. People should rub shoulders with us and be like, wow, I didn't know God wanted to do that too. And that? And that? Wow. You know, Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. I, for one, I want, I want to have the kind of influence where you hang out with me and you want to prophesy. You want to manifest the gifts that are in you. You want to unpack who you are in Christ because the Holy Spirit just is waiting to just burst out of you in the deepest and fullest expression that he is. Now, the last point, reformers, world changers, they bring people together around Jesus. And you might think, how did Hezekiah do that? It's about 700 years too early for that. Well, watch this. 2 Corinthians 30, verse 1. King Hezekiah now sent a word to all Israel and Judah, and he asked everyone to come to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, Israel and Judah were divided at the time. They didn't like each other. They were, you know, the Bible says it's harder to win a brother who's offended than anybody else. Sometimes people got really, really deep issues. So when we say Israel and Judah were divided, they were divided. They did not like each other. They thought the others were apostate. They wanted nothing to do with each other. And then along comes Hezekiah. And he says, hey, that church down the road that I think's got everything wrong with you, come. Come on. Let's celebrate the Passover. Let's celebrate the Passover together. He invites people who are close. He invites people who are far. He invites people that he thinks have nothing to do with God or want anything to do with God. And he invites his brothers who do. He invited everybody. And a real reformer like like Hezekiah, a real world changer, will have everybody on their mind and have space in their heart for everybody, Not, not just buddies, not just family not just tribe, not just people who think and act and look like us, but everybody, everyone. Jesus, Jesus had this, right? World changer, world changer, not just tribe changer or family circle changer. John twelve thirty two, He says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw everyone to myself. Everyone. Wow, that's awesome. See, Hezekiah, it was all about the Passover. He was actually drawing people to Jesus. He just didn't understand that the Passover yet pointed ahead to the Lamb of God. See, world changers, one of the things world changers and reformers have to be aware of is not to let yourself and your passion and your energy by co- be co-opted by a lesser cause. It's good to get involved in the causes of the world. It's good to be salt and to be light. But you know what really brings people together? You know the, the, what really gets to the root of the issue? It's the cross, the cross of Jesus is the source of all transformation on planet Earth. It really is. And, and, and every single cause and every single issue out there, no matter what it is, what it needs is it needs what Jesus says that Jesus came and he brought the axe to the root of the tree. He brought the axe to the root. You see, that the world that the apostles lived in, they uh, they lived in some pretty horrible times. Like the stuff that was going on in their day, and. I don't know, I don't even know how you would judge, but I can't imagine it was much worse from things that I've read than than what we have. I mean, we might be able to accelerate our evil because of our technology, but they they had some pretty bad stuff going on. But Paul says, you know what, in the midst of all that, I've resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, because that's the source of all transformation. It really is. So reformers, world changers, they look out over the whole of the human condition And they say, nobody left behind. Nobody. See, Hezekiah saw the Passover. It's not just for Judah. It's for Israel, too. It's for everybody. Guess what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. It's not just for the people that we know or or, or look like us or whatever, right? It's for everybody. We know that. So, just to summarize here, uh... What, what does this mean for us? I kind of touched on it a little bit, but what, what does it mean for you and for me then to follow in the, the, the steps of Jesus, who was a world changer, he was a reformer, and he did it in these ways. He did it God's way. What does that look like for us? Well, number one, when it comes to opening the door to encountering God, how we manifest being world changers and reformers, you be the open heaven that you are. And that means you put yourself out there and you let people experience God in you. God is in you. God the Holy Spirit lives in us. That means I have become a gatekeeper in the house of my God because he's here. And I can lose him. I can share him. I can let other people experience God through me and my life. So I have to be willing to put myself out there. Some of us introverts might have a hard time with that. Right? I don't know. But it's true. You've got to do it. It's true. There's a love in you that overrides that kind of stuff anyways. But you lead people to Jesus by letting them have access to him through your life. You refuse to embrace weird ideas that say, you know what, you can only encounter God after you do this, this, and this. We don't participate in that stuff. We, we say, no, no, no. Jesus opened the door. The, the veil, it was torn from top to bottom. God himself tore that veil. God himself rent the veil. Actually, Hebrews says that the veil was his flesh. When his flesh was torn open, you got to walk right into his heart. All of humanity gets to do that. When it comes to purifying people, clearly we don't do that. But we can take people to Jesus. Now, here's the thing world changers, they elevate the moral atmosphere around us. Not by, uh, hopefully that's okay to say, not by being religious, legalistic prudes not by being those people at the party that nobody wants to hang out with because you're constantly telling people how to behave, but because we know how to embrace the grace that empowers us to say no to sin and yes to the movement of the Holy Spirit in us. See, the grace of God teaches you to say no, and it does teach you to say no. If you're having a hard time saying no, double down on grace. Grace will teach you to say no. And you know what? When you say no, no is like protecting your yes. No no, no is, 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 no, I'm going to say no to this because I'm saying yes to this. I see that this is better for me. This is the thing that God wants for my life. This is the thing that he added into my life. His grace has put it there. His grace has showed me it. By his grace, I'm starting to value these good choices so I can say no because I'm protecting my yes. And grace teaches you how to do that. So it's grace. It really is. It's, uh, Us manifesting the purity of Jesus Christ, manifesting his influence. All right, number three, we cleanse the temple. What does that mean? World changers embrace the one and only altar, the cross. World changers understand that real transformation happens through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where real transformation happens. And all of our worship, all of our lives, all of our spirituality, it flows out of our union with him and his finished work world changers, God's reformers, they awaken, activate, excite a passion for the full expression of the glory of God in the house of God. That means all the signs, all the wonders, the healings, the prophecies, all that stuff. The fruit. Yeah, I love the Message Bible. It talks about one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit being an exuberance for life. Imagine that. Just imagine a people who are happy about life. Wow. I mean, I'd like to see people get healed, but... (laughs) Can you imagine if there was like a couple hundred thousand people running around southwestern Ontario happy to be alive? So good. There's truth that emerges from the Holy Spirit's activity. Yeah? We know the power of God and we know the word of God. We know the truth. He's the spirit of truth. So world changers, they excite a passion for these things. They awaken these things in people's lives. It's good stuff. And lastly, world changers, God's reformers, they bring people together. They draw people together around Jesus. They point to Jesus. They understand that in Christ, there is no division. See, in in old humanity, in Adam, there's division. There's schism. There's separation. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's males and there's females and there's black and there's white and there's all this stuff, go on and on and on. In Jesus, there's just Jesus. There's you in Christ. You're a new creation. And we understand that. And we can demonstrate and we can model what community looks like, an inclusive, welcoming community, because we know that in Christ, everybody's welcome. So good. So we know, world changers, performers, we know this message. We know what God wants to do in us, what he can do through us. It's for, it's for Bridgewater. It's for, it's for Nova Scotia. It's for Toronto. It's for here. It's for London. It's for southwestern Ontario. It needs to get, it needs to get out there, who we are. We need to be confident. God wants to change the world through you. God wants through you to make the world a better place. And he's put the love of God in your heart. The, 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 that love would, would just push you, push you out. See, Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels me. I'm not driven. I'm not driven to see change. But I feel like the love of God inside of me says, I got to make something better. I got to leave something around me better than I found it. My neighborhood my homeless buddies out in the country, whatever, London, where I were, all that stuff, everything's got to become better by the love of God expressed through me. It's a passion in his heart for transformation and restoration, and he would do it through us. Amen?